You will turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We continue walking through the book of Luke. And this morning we will look at verses 39 through 55. This morning's sermon is called The Visitation. Our key words for our worshipers in training are joy, Elizabeth, and blessed. Now, so far in the Gospel of Luke, we've looked at two narratives. The last two weeks, we looked at these two narratives. The first was this narrative about uh, Zechariah the priest and his uh, encounter with the angel Gabriel as he was giving the burnt offering in the temple. Remember, Gabriel came to tell Zechariah that his prayer had been answered. His prayer, first and foremost, that no doubt he had been praying for years and years, and that is that his wife, Baron Elizabeth, would bear a son. But also the prayer that the people of Israel, God's people, would be redeemed that there would be redemption in the land. And Gabriel told Zechariah that his wife, Elizabeth, in her old age, in her barrenness, would bear a son and his name would be John. And we saw in the book of Malachi, how Gabriel was telling Zechariah that his son would be the one who would come in the power of Elijah as was promised 400 years earlier. And then last week we looked at this great narrative of of Mary and her visit with the angel Gabriel. Gabriel who came to Mary as as a young virgin girl and telling her that God would overshadow her and she would bear Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Mary, who is betrothed to be married to Joseph, she was going to bear Jesus, who all the Old Testament had spoke of. And so we have these two narratives that Luke has written so masterfully that parallel one another, two great miracles that God has done in the wombs of women. Women who, by any standard of measure, were normal, everyday women. And God has done a great thing among them. Now remember, there is, up until this time, there was about 400 years after the last word that was received from God. And nearly 500 years since the last miracle was seen. And now we see in these two narratives as they go on simultaneously, it's the beginning of three decades of miracles from God, all revolving around the life and ministry of this Messiah, Jesus Christ, who was coming. Luke begins his gospel with two miracles, two women Elizabeth, between 60 and 80 years old, barren, never having a child, no hope for a child. And Mary, quite the opposite, probably between 12 and 14 years old, not yet married, still a virgin. Both of them faithful women of God. 
We learn in verse 36 that Mary and Elizabeth were relatives. The King James Version says cousins. Other scholars believe that perhaps Elizabeth was Mary's aunt. As we look at today's passage, we recognize that Mary and Elizabeth live in, in different places altogether, about 80 miles apart from one another. So let's pick up in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So Elizabeth lives in the hill country of Judah. This is around Jerusalem. It's, it is uh, to the south. It is uh, the southern portion of Israel. Mary, remember, lived in Nazareth, a small town in Galilee, a nothing town north of Israel. Now, recall here that Zechariah and Elizabeth have no idea whatsoever about Mary's pregnancy. They have no idea about her visit with Gabriel, who also visited Zacharias. All Mary, and all Mary knows about what has happened with Zacharias and Elizabeth is what we read in verse 36. When Gabriel tells Mary, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So no doubt Mary knew Elizabeth, her relative, was, was barren. Certainly the family would have known this. She knew it was a miracle that Elizabeth would be pregnant. So think of all the emotions that Mary would be experiencing. Recall her, her attitude toward Gabriel. She was absolutely blown away by what he was telling her. She couldn't believe that Gabriel had come to tell her, a young peasant girl, that she would bear the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so no doubt in this time she was also very encouraged by another miracle that had happened. Baron Elizabeth was pregnant. And this was encouragement to Mary and Elizabeth. And this encouraged Mary to visit Elizabeth. The text says, in those days, in other words, immediately, right away, as soon as Mary heard the news, she got up to go and see Elizabeth. Why? Why was she so eager to to get up and move on to travel a four-day journey, 80 miles to go and see Elizabeth? We don't get a direct answer from Luke, but it's reasonable to draw at least one conclusion from this. Think about what Mary was just told. Consider the shock. Consider the the amazement. This miraculous announcement that she was given. This unbelievable reality that has taken place. On top of the fact that she was a virgin and she was pregnant, it's not with just any child, but the Savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah, that was promised since the very beginning in Genesis 3. And her old relative Elizabeth, who has been barren her whole life, is pregnant also. It's amazing. 
And we saw last week, Mary faithfully received the words of Gabriel. She was stunned, she was confused, but she was faithful and she believed. She believed what the angel had told her. But it doesn't make it any less amazing. And a little confirmation might help alleviate some of the shock. She was just told something that 100% of the time is humanly impossible. Remember, verse 37, Gabriel makes note of this reality. Humanly, this cannot happen. It's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. It had to be unimaginable that she would be the mother of the Messiah, the mother of the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, who would overshadow her. This is mind-blowing. This is nearly incomprehensible especially for a young teenage girl. No woman ever heard such a thing. And no doubt Gabriel understood the unbelievable nature of what he was telling Mary, and he gave her a confirming sign. No less miraculous, your relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. So in a hurry, Mary wants to go and see Elizabeth because she wants to see the miracle, to see firsthand that God indeed had done this thing and will do what he has said in her own virgin womb. Elizabeth was living proof of the miraculous work of the power of God, and Mary wanted to behold this as well. Now, remember, Elizabeth was six months pregnant by now, so Mary would see the evidence immediately upon seeing her. And there, there's something important to note prior to looking at verse 41. There is no word from Luke about Mary's conception. He says nothing at all about her actually becoming pregnant or with child, as the Bible might say. Other than the fact that it says it will happen in verse 35, we don't get any other details regarding the Lord's overshadowing of Mary onto conception. So we must assume it was immediate. At least it was during that three to four day travel to see Elizabeth. And that's evident by what we'll see and when we look at the next verse in just a moment. Now, some suggest Mary went to see Elizabeth to hide her pregnancy. That doesn't seem reasonable. It wouldn't last very long. They would soon know that she was pregnant. Others have suggested that maybe she went to avoid Joseph. She didn't know what to say to Joseph, so she wanted to avoid him. But there's no reason to assume that he would have even known anything at this point because this was immediately after it happened. He would have no way of knowing that she was pregnant. And remember, it was an angel that later appeared to Joseph in a dream to explain what had happened to Mary. So Mary went to see... This is the most reasonable explanation. Mary went to see what God had done to be assured, to be confirmed. That this great thing God has done, this great thing that Gabriel had said was true, and that she too would experience this great miracle within her. And besides that, how many around her would have believed what Mary was telling them at that point in time. Probably not very many. Elizabeth would. Zacharias would. 
They too had experienced that. But, but not many others would. I mean, let, let's think of this. Dad, your, your 13-year-old daughter comes to you. Dad, um, I'm, I'm pregnant. What? Don't worry, Dad. I didn't do anything. An angel of the Lord came to me and told me that I would be impregnated by the Holy Spirit and that I would be the mother of the Savior of the world. Oh, okay. No problem. Sounds good, baby. I was worried there for a moment. Is that how you would respond, dads? I don't think so. We even see Joseph in the other gospel accounts who drew the natural conclusions about Mary initially, right? He assumed that she had violated her betrothal and realized by law that he had two options. Either he would have to stone her to death or he would have to divorce her. And the Bible says he was a righteous man and he resolved quietly to divorce her. He didn't want to stone her. And it was soon afterward that the angel assured Joseph of the truth of this story. So quite frankly, there were only two people at that point in time that would really believe Mary. Zacharias and Elizabeth. Elizabeth would believe her. If what Gabriel said was true, Elizabeth would recognize that truth immediately. It would all make sense. And Zacharias would certainly be blown away that all Gabriel told him was coming to pass. So Mary shows up and she she greets Elizabeth. Now, if you've ever been to the Middle East or Africa, um, greetings in these regions of the world are not just a hello, but they they're very lengthy. They take a very long time. How's your wife? How are your children? How are your parents? How are your animals? How are your crops? And it goes on and on and on. So we assume that's what's going on here in their greeting. But remember, they have no idea that Mary is coming. She didn't have a long-distance calling plan, so she couldn't give any forewarning that she was on the way. She had big news to tell them. They had no idea what had happened with Mary and Gabriel, nor did Gabriel say anything to Zacharias about Mary and her being the mother of the Savior. Let's pick it up in verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember, at this point, John the Baptist was six months old in Elizabeth's womb. He leaped for joy when Mary entered the womb. And simultaneously, we read that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the Greek translation of the Bible, this word leaped is used also as skipped. So this wasn't just some normal baby movement. It wasn't the normal kicking around of a baby in the womb. This was something else altogether. And it's very clear that Elizabeth recognizes this leaping, this this skipping of John in her womb to be a sign of the Messiahship of Christ. Now we see later in verse 44, Elizabeth's words to Mary, she wrote, uh, she said, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now what is this? What's going on here? 
Remember what we said about John the Baptist two weeks ago? What was he to do? He would be the forerunner, the one who would announce to the world the coming of Christ. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Now, what do we see in verse 15 about John? We saw that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. What would have been the purpose of that? There's a purpose behind him being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. I mean, it certainly would be nice to have a regenerate infant, a regenerate toddler. That would be a great thing. But I don't think that was God's intention to make John a a more obedient child to his parents while he was younger. It was a supernatural occurrence for a supernatural reason. So it's not a stretch to say that John... Filled in the womb by the Holy Spirit, prophetically confirmed the Messiahship of Jesus. That's all over this passage. This is Elizabeth's confirmation. Isn't this amazing? So John was doing a prophetic work even from the womb of his mother. And let's be honest, it's pretty miraculous what has happened so far. So is this really outside the realm of possibilities at this point? We should, at this point, expect the miraculous. I notice something else. This verse has said that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's two ways that the Bible talks about one being filled with the Holy Spirit. The one is regeneration, that when one becomes a believer in Christ, we are regenerated. The Holy Spirit fills the believer and lives and dwells within us. The other are these times that we see throughout the scriptures, and you see it frequently through the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit fills a person for a special work of God, and generally that work is prophetic in nature. For example, in the book of Acts, it says the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit when they went before the Sanhedrin to give an account for what they were preaching. So we know they were already regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a different kind of filling. We would say that the writers of the scriptures were filled with the Holy Spirit in the writing of the text that we hold in our hands. So how did Elizabeth understand the leap of John in the womb to be confirmation of the Messiahship of Jesus in the womb of Mary? Well, she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was able to discern what had happened. Let's read what Elizabeth says, verse 42. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. These are incredible words from Elizabeth. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. John who has been filled with the Holy Spirit himself, leaps in the womb at Mary's greeting. Elizabeth confirms this to be a prophetic indication of the Messiahship of Jesus, and she calls him her Lord. Imagine a 
70, 80-year-old woman calling a baby only a few days old in the womb of a teenager her Lord. Wonderful. So Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, Literally, she shouts a a hymn of praise. Now, this was typical, and we see this elsewhere in the Scriptures. So when someone was giving a divine revelation, it was done with a a loud cry. It wasn't because she was older and didn't have her hearing aids in or because Zechariah couldn't hear her. It was common to see someone proclaim something prophetic with a loud cry. So Elizabeth shouts a glorious divine confirmation of what was happening here. And this is the first of five hymns that we're going to look at in the Gospel of Luke. We'll read in just a moment the hymn of praise from Mary. Then in verse 67, we'll read the hymn of praise from Zechariah. And then when we get to chapter 2, there's one from the angels. And then lastly, Simeon gives us the fifth. And all of these hymns of praise revolve around the conception of the Messiah in the womb of Mary. It is a great time of rejoicing. Everyone who hears of it and believes rejoices. So now we see Elizabeth pronouncing a blessing on Mary and on her child. Also, she pronounces a blessing on herself and really on anyone who would benefit from the coming of the Messiah. In, in their society, it would have been normal. It it would be normal and appropriate for Mary to have paid special honor to her elder relative, Elizabeth. But what happens? It's quite the opposite, right? Elizabeth recognizes through the working of the Holy Spirit that she is standing in the presence of the mother of her Lord. Blessed are you among women. Literally, that word blessed is where we get our word eulogy. I mean, nice, honorable words to be said. Think of of a funeral when someone gives a, a eulogy. So literally, you are to be spoken well of among women. Mary was the most blessed of all women. Jewish women were honored based upon the status of of their children, what their children would become. Her greatness was tied to the greatness of the children that she bore. Another reason why you see how difficult it was for a woman to be barren all her life. This is mentioned later in Jesus' life. We'll see in Luke 11, 27, one of the women in the crowd cried out, As Jesus said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And so we see the blessing on the woman is through the status of her child. It was a typical Jewish way to honor a mother. She was honored because Mary was honored because of Jesus. And likewise, Elizabeth said, You are most blessed because you have the greatest child. Again, you see Elizabeth's humility here? Consider this. An elderly woman who has no child now has a child in her womb. It's miraculous. And she's been told through her, through her husband, through the angel Gabriel, that her own son would be great. He would be fulfilling the prophetic word that we saw in Malachi. But, 
But she recognizes that Jesus, that Jesus is far greater yet. We see Elizabeth as a righteous woman, excited about bearing the forerunner, John. But she's also very excited about the arrival of the Messiah. She realized it's, it's one thing to, to bear a prophet, but it's, all, it's altogether something different to bear the Savior of the world. Blessed are you, Mary. You are most blessed of all women. You are to be spoken well of among women. You were chosen to carry the Savior of the world. It's amazing. We see also in verse 42 that she gives a blessing on the child. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. You are blessed, Mary, but he is even more blessed. The Messiah, the most blessed child to ever be born, the one who will receive all of heaven's blessings unmixed, unmitigated, the one who will be holy and harmless and undefiled, separate from sinners, the one who will be perfect, the one who will be sinless, the one who will inherit all that the Father possesses, the one who will be given a redeemed people from the Father to praise and glorify and serve Him forever, the one who will be the object of eternal praise in glory. This is the most blessed. He who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, He by whom all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he who is to be the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be Preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is who was in the womb of Mary. This is him, Mary. This is him. You are blessed, and your child is blessed. Amazement, humility, awe. She knows of her unworthiness. Have you had this experience? Have you experienced awe and amazement and humility? Me? Me? Why me? Why is it granted to me that the Lord Jesus Christ should come so near to me? As to rescue me from the depths of my sin, to pull me up from the miry bog, to set my feet on solid ground, to take me who was once blind and to make me so that I can see, to make me who, his child who was once his enemy, who once hated him and did all matter of evil and blasphemous works in opposition to him. Truly, I am blessed. Have you had that experience? I pray that you have. We are so unworthy, and yet Christ has come so near. Who are we but dust? But Christ has come near. We have a great Savior. And we, we should 
recognize His greatness. And it should put us in a place of awe and reverence and amazement for the glory that has been revealed to us because of what Christ has done. So Elizabeth confirms the deity of the Christ child. She says, my Lord. She's confirming that he indeed is God in the flesh. Now, when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying that Jesus is also God. But there's something important to note here. It's very intentional that Elizabeth says Lord and not God. God was never conceived. God was never born. God is eternal. God always has been and God always will be. God has no mother. So any reference to Mary, the mother of God, is not an appropriate reference. Mary is the mother of Jesus, the man. She is not the mother of God. Now, that's difficult to grasp, but we have to remember here, it's our doctrine that we call the hypostatic union. This is the reality that that Jesus was 100% God and simultaneously 100% man. He was both at the same time. Did Mary conceive Jesus as God? No. Was Jesus God? Yes. Did Mary conceive Jesus as man? Yes. So I know that just clears it all up, right? (laughs) Deity is true of Jesus, 100%. But deity is not confined to Jesus. This is why we say of Mary that she is the mother of the man, Jesus, but not the mother of God. The difference is between biblical truth and heretical teaching. It does make a big difference. Resident in Mary's womb was a human being, a physical child who was in his inner person God, who always existed, the eternal God, the Son who had lived from all eternity. It's a beautiful and glorious mystery. Do not seek to resolve it. In the wisdom of God, in modern terms, it simply is what it is. Let it rest. Be amazed. Look at verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. There's sort of a a general beatitude here. Blessed is she. Notice it's in the third person. So really, blessed is the one who believed. Yes, Mary, but more broadly, anybody who believes God fulfills his promises is going to be blessed, right? That's our great hope, is it not? What assurance do you have? When you endure suffering or you face very difficult circumstances... When you're asking questions about the meaning and purpose of what's going on around you in this life, when you're considering your salvation and your eternity, what assurance do you have? Our assurance and our hope is rooted in the promises of God. The promises of God contained in His Word. That's what we have. That is our assurance. 
And she says, blessed is the one who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken from the Lord. Now, within verses 39 through 45, there's something really special about what the Holy Spirit does in Elizabeth. And I want to point out uh, these three things and do some application. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and he caused three things within her. First, he caused her to recognize the truth that was presented to her. This is a great work of God, is it not? If you're a Christian, you have experienced the very same thing. Maybe you heard the gospel a thousand times before you ever believed it. You could recite all the verses you learned in Awana and remember the theme of every VBS you ever attended. Maybe you learned in high school that true love waits and that Jesus was the right answer to nine out of ten questions in Sunday school. But despite all of that, nothing ever changed. There's no transformation. There's no new life. But then suddenly, suddenly something happens. Like a light that goes on in a very dark room. You saw everything clearly all of a sudden. Everything you knew made sense. Everything that you had heard and learned about Jesus... And about the work of God throughout history made sense. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus referred to in John chapter 3 when talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus said, you, you must be born again? What do you mean? How do I do that? Did I crawl back into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're a teacher. You don't understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh and flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit." How does this happen? How does the work of the new birth happen? The gospel is proclaimed, the gospel is heard, and the Holy Spirit blows as He pleases and brings dead sinners to life that they would recognize the truth that has been presented to them. And the Holy Spirit does this for us as believers too, right? We can't underestimate the Spirit. He gives us discernment, he gives us wisdom. He helps us to understand the scriptures and apply them. That's what we pray for every Sunday. Lord, illumine the scriptures. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We want to recognize the truth when it's presented to us like Elizabeth did because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Second, we see that the Holy Spirit caused Elizabeth to praise God in response to the truth that was heard. Our worship as Christians is a response to the objective word of God revealed to us by the scriptures. When the Holy Spirit does a work to reveal the truth to us, he also stirs our hearts to worship. And I pray for us as God's people. I pray this for us all the time. 
that in our study of the scriptures, in our reading of the Bible, that our worship as a body of Christ would not be cold, that it would not be unmoved. We want, we want more of God. We want greater affections for Christ. Well, how do we get there? It's not a mystical experience of emotional outburst, but it's a genuine growth of love and affection for Jesus Christ, a greater desire to be engaged in the work of God for the advance of the gospel, a longing to know more of Christ. And it is all motivated by the truth of His Word. A truly transformed heart is a heart that is transformed by the power of the Word of God that motivates genuine worship as a response to the truth of God's Word to His people. Genuine, God-honoring worship is a work of the Holy Spirit who awakens hearts to see and behold the glory of God. We want this. We want to praise God in response to the truth that we hear. Third and lastly, we see that the Holy Spirit causes Elizabeth to encourage a fellow believer. Look again, verse 45. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. These are words of encouragement to Mary. Just as the angel had blessed her, So a human being now blesses her under the Spirit's guidance. Just as the angel had encouraged her, so now a human being encouraged her, prompted by the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful to be encouraged by other believers, isn't it? Do you realize as you encourage others as a Christian that the Holy Spirit is at work within you? It's not a natural thing For us to be encouragers. But as Christians, that's what we are called to be and do. To practice affirmation. To build up one another in the Lord. I'm excited uh, that one of our books of the year is called Practicing Affirmation. It's very helpful in this area. Especially for those of us who have a very hard time being an encourager. As as we learn about what it looks like to encourage others in the Lord, the Holy Spirit applies our knowledge to our hearts and the words that we speak in order that we can be more like Elizabeth in this area. We are able to see to it that others are told of the blessing that they are and our thankfulness for what God is doing in them and through them. We want to be encouragers. And when we are, we see the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, as a result of all that has taken place in Mary's encounter with Elizabeth, Mary recognized that blessing. We're going to look in much more detail over the next two weeks at what's called Mary's Magnificat. This is Mary's hymn of praise. But I just want to get a feel for this in light of the situation in light of what is going on and all of this truth that has been revealed and the the rejoicing that has gone on and the encouragement from the Holy Spirit. We're just going to read verses 46 through 55. These are the words of Mary. 
Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She recognizes the fulfillment of God's promise in her and she rejoices. We saw Elizabeth's hymn of praise and now we see Mary's. This is jam-packed with some very good stuff. So we're going to take the next two weeks on it. But I just want us to see what all of this leads to. I want us to see something specific about Mary here. Is she prideful about all of this? Is Mary saying... Yes, Elizabeth, I know. <laughs> you are stating the obvious. I am to be blessed among all women. Don't forget. Now, remember how she talked to Gabriel? When Gabriel gave her this reality, this truth of what was going on inside of how can it be? Me? Not me. Surely it cannot be me. Her humility... She pondered the words of Gabriel because she could not believe that it was her to whom the Lord had come. The Son of God who would dwell within her. She was humbled. And so here's the challenge for us. As we think forward to this great hymn of praise from Mary, the challenge is to recognize the work of God in our lives. And to respond, not boastful, not proud, but to be humbled like Mary before a holy, huge God who doesn't owe us a single thing. We have got to get to a place where we are constantly amazed by the work of God in our lives. Really? Me? How me? Why? Me? And we're not talking about just having the language and speaking like we're humble. We're talking about living before God humbly. Living for, before God with gratitude and living before God with complete and total awe. The more we learn about God and the more we learn about our own hearts, the more in awe we ought to be that He didn't just cast us away the very second we were born. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, to the hungry, and to the lowly in a state. So it's important for us to grasp the reality of how unbelievable it is what God has done in Elizabeth and in Mary. He's used the weak and lowly to bring to himself great glory. 
and it always has been, and it always will be this way, that God will exalt the lowly, and he will work against and bring low the haughty. And so the question for us this morning is, are you walking humbly before God? Are we responding to the miraculous work of God in our salvation with humility? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you cannot help but be filled, not with humility, but with pride. All that I've said, all these miracles that we speak of, to you this is just crazy. And in your pride, you've decided that you have it all figured out. God? Who needs God? I've got this taken care of, no thanks. I want to tell you that God will humble you. One way or another, God will humble you. (laughs) The scriptures say that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in the heavens, on the earth, and under the earth. I pray that you bow your knee before you face the judge. My prayer is that God will humble you through the work of the Holy Spirit. You will hear the truth. You will respond to the truth in repentance and belief in the gospel. And that you will cry out in repentance. I pray that you will worship God with all of your heart because you believe the truth of God's word. And your only response is worship. Let us be a humble people. Let's ask God that he would make us a humble people before him, that we would revere him, that we'd be in awe of him and the great works that he has done in us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the great promises of your word. That you fulfill all that you promise and that we can find rest and hope and assurance in all that you have said. Thank you for how you brought about these two great men, John the Baptist, the prophet, the voice crying out from the wilderness. But more so, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who came to take on flesh to dwell in this world as one who could perfectly fulfill the law that you have demanded and to die a sinner's death and to take on the full wrath that you have stored up against us and to bear the wrath of his people and to grant to us the righteous standing before you. and to be buried and raised again from the dead. We pray, Lord, that we stand in awe of the miraculous work that you have done in the virgin birth of Christ and in his resurrection from the dead and the promise that is ours, that because Christ has been raised from the dead, that we too, as those redeemed by Christ, will also be raised from the dead. Help us, O Lord, to delight in the power of the resurrection 
in the glorious work that you have done in the birth of Jesus. Thank you for your word. Make us to be a humble, worshipful people whose only boast is the cross of Christ. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.